recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Welcome back to another episode of Recovering. I'm your host, Jennifer Don Watts, and today we are going to talk about resentments. And I know none of you have them, right? No anger, no frustration with people around you, no resentments. I mean, you've just forgiven everybody. You're happy. It's all good. I get it. I get it. Me too. Uh, But just in case you have a friend that happens to be resentful of a few people, maybe you can pass this on to them. Um, I am right now in my new place. I moved and um, normally I'm sitting at my desk in my office. I have this nice boom and the mic just hangs down and I talk to you and it's great. No, I'm sitting on the floor and uh, I'm holding the mic and um, it's almost Christmas. I've got some live creatures, baby guinea pigs hidden in my bathroom (laughs) away from my daughter. And so it's kind of a bit of a shit show. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, But what I was reminded of today, I even told Jessica, I think I'm getting a cold and I don't know if I can record... Uh, Jessica's my producer. You heard her last episode. If you if you listen to that one on loneliness, um, oh no, second to last. Yeah, we did sex last time. So sex, it's right before sex. It's the loneliness episode. That's Jess. Um, and I told her that I thought I was getting sick, and I and I worried about you know recording and being sick. And you know what? I just thought about it this afternoon, and I was like, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. And also, what does matter is recovery. It does matter that you're taking time right now to stop and to listen and to try to grow and to try to get in touch with more of your true self. That's what matters. And that's what matters to me right now as I'm sitting here trying to be present with you. Um, So all that other stuff, whatever we feel in our lives needs to be just right before we do the things that we're called to do. Not true. Um, Just for today, you can try to be the parent that you want to be just for today. Tomorrow you can be a crappy parent, day after that crappy parent, but just for today, what kind of parent do you want to be and what kind of things do you want to do um, that live into that? Uh, just for today, what kind of pet owner do you want to be? What would be really special that you could do just for today? Tomorrow you can be a crappy pet owner, but just for today. Just for today, uh, what kind of partner do you want to be if you're in a relationship What would be one nice thing that you could do for that person that you care about? And again, tomorrow you can, you know, do whatever you want, but just for today, uh, just for today, what kind of podcaster do I want to be? Well, I want to show up. I want to show up for you. I want to show up for myself. I want to talk about the things that matter to me. I want to talk about what's been helpful for me. And I was really reflecting in this past week on, you know, this whole Uh, appreciation that I have for the 12 steps. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I really want to make clear with those that are listening. My goal is not that you would end up in recovery meetings. Okay. If you end up in recovery meetings, because you choose that, because something about this kind of real conversation about growth and being on a spiritual journey is helpful for you. Amazing. Google it, look up the meetings. They're online even with quarantine and everything, if that's where you're at, you can still go to meetings. Great. However, if you're listening to this simply to grow, or if psychology and counseling is more your thing, or if you're a person of faith and 
you know, your church or faith community is more your thing. That's cool too. That wherever you're at, whatever you need, just take what you need and leave the rest. I think the reason for my own appreciation, uh, I don't want to say obsession, but it could be true, uh, with 12 step is because I was just blown away by it. Like, you know, those things in life where somebody just helps you see something really, really differently. Same thing for me with Christianity, right? That's why I'm a really uh, strong sold out Christian. I mean, it's evolved over the years and I'm progressive and different than many other Christians. Um, LGBTQ affirming, I swear I'm a female in ministry, a lot of other things. However, uh, the teachings of Jesus still blow me away. And so does 12 step recovery. And when I first encountered it, it was a client actually that I was a new, a really brand new therapist. And I started helping a lot of people and I was, I had really great supervision and really great treatment planning. And so I started to see people getting help and I got pretty high on myself. Like I got pretty prideful of like, yeah, I can do this. I've got this. And all of a sudden I had this client that was also in recovery and the client would come to sessions and what they were learning in 12 step and the solutions that they were being given was actually better than anything I could tell them. And so I remember feeling a bit in awe of like, wow, like that is profound. That is simple, but helpful. And it really related to my faith, uh, being a Christian. And so there wasn't any conflict there. Um, but as a therapist, psychologist, you know, counselor, um, technically I'm a certified professional counselor, but I work in the area of psychology. So whatever you want to call it, um, I was just, yeah, wow. I just thought even for the psyche, this is huge. Um, so then I have ended, ended up myself in 12 step from some things that I experienced in my own life. And, you know, maybe one day I'll talk about that. It's kind of a long convoluted journey and I don't know how helpful that would be for you. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see where the spirit leads. Um, but I ended up in 12 step myself and again, you know, being a therapist, being somebody who's been in therapy, I received something different in that room of humans that were being honest, that loved in a way that was not codependent. It wasn't controlling. It wasn't like they were trying to get a new member, like sometimes at new churches. Um, they could, I could tell they really cared, but it was like a non-codependent. It was just like, listen, if you want what we have and you, you want to get, are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then we'll help you. If you're not into it, you can leave. Like, here's our phone numbers. If you want to call us, please call us, you know? And, um, yeah, it was just really interesting. It was just a different experience for me. Um, and, and profound. And then, you know, the last decade or so I've been in recovery. And so I just thought, yeah, if I can pass this along, especially to people who wouldn't find themselves in a recovery meeting, just this wisdom and this, these ways that I've been able to grow fantastic. And, and yeah, we do other things as well. We're going to talk about psychology, Christianity, um, you know, just other things that are particularly helpful for feeling better, feeling happier, feeling more free. That's a question I came across recently. What do you think about this question? Would you rather be happy or would you rather be free? <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? So think about that. In the meantime, today I'm going to share with you something that was probably the most helpful for me from, well, I mean, it's hard to say, but very, very helpful for me from recovery. And that is about resentments. 
And um, basically, resentments are covered in the fourth step. So there are 12 steps. And in the fourth one is when resentments are covered. And what I learned is that when it comes to addiction, so if you have any identifiable addictions, whether it's pornography, overeating, um, restricting, like eating disorder issues, codependency, um, if you have uh, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling addiction, um, there's also sex and love addiction. So love and relationships and that high can be an addiction. Anything that you feel like has impacted your life in a negative way, you've tried to stop, but you can't, um, it becomes obsessive and a habit. Um, it takes away from other aspects of your life it becomes something that is like the one thing that you look forward to and in your world becomes narrower and narrower. And that's your thing, whatever that is. Um, they say that resentments are the number one offender. So resentments are what drive the addiction. That's what the big book says. Now, a lot of people might argue with that. I don't think it's worth arguing about if it's the number one offender or the third offender, it doesn't really matter. If we can start to deal with some of our resentments, I think it will help us. And then again, I think it'll help the world around us as well. Um, so what do we do about these resentments? Well, first of all, we have to be honest about them. So when I was in 12 step, I did the first three steps right away, um, admitted my powerless over powerlessness over my addiction is step one and that my life is unmanageable, which life is unmanageable was a little tricky for me. Cause I was like, well, I have a job. I have a couple cars in the garage. Like is life really unmanageable? And the way that I got through that was like, you know what, Jen, if your life is so manageable, why do you need to use, <laughs> right? Why do you need to medicate if it was, if it's so manageable, right? Why can't you just live life on life's terms? So that's how I got through my step one. Step two is about coming to believe that a power greater than yourself could set you free, which was a little tricky, but I looked at the people around me and they seemed pretty free. And this movement was spreading all over the world and all different languages. And I thought, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. This could do something for me. So that got me through that. And then step three was, you know, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. And that one, I thought I did. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I'm going to do what God wants. But really most of the time I was driving the bus myself. So I kind of had, I maybe a quarter did that one. Um, but then I got to the fourth step and that's when you start making a list of your resentments. And I got stuck like most people do. Most people quit at this point. I got stuck. And one of the reasons was because I could not admit my anger. I could see other people's anger. I could see how angry they were, but I couldn't admit my own. And so I just delayed and delayed and delayed for about a year and a half. And a whole bunch of stuff happened in the midst of that year and a half. And then eventually I became convinced that I needed to do the steps. I needed to get through this. And isn't it crazy to think that these 12 steps that people have done, you know, over the last 80 plus years all over the world, that they're so daunting that it would be so scary. I remember I'd see them written on the wall and I was like, okay, I could do that. I could do that. Not doing that. You know, this idea of making amends to everybody that I'd heard, oh, not doing that. Right. Thank God that's step nine. <laughs> you know? Um, but really you are a mortal diamond. 
you are so powerful. You have been so resilient. You have made it through so much. Of course you could do the 12 steps. Of course you can. So it's not that big of a deal, right? We need to dial back the fear a little bit. Like it's fine. Uh, but that's not where I was. My ego was taking over and it was just like, ugh, there's no way I could do some of these things. And one of them was admitting my anger. So when I knew that I had to get through them, I knew that I wanted to do them. I went to a Starbucks and I took the four step paperwork, which you can print off online. And I just sat there and I made a list and I started off with just the maybe like, well, okay, maybe I'm a little resentful of my ex about this. And so I put that down and then, okay, well maybe a little bit with my mom, I put that down. And as I started writing pages and pages of names, like probably three pages worth of names of people that I had these resentments against and what had happened, etc. And the thing about the 12 steps is that you are acknowledging your hurt. You're acknowledging what's happened, which is really important. And then there's this last column. And the last column is what is your part? What is your side of the street, right? Because that's all you have control over is your side of the street. And so they get you to look at your part and I thought, ah, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this because I know what you're going to do. You're going to do the, what my family used to do when I was growing up. You're going to turn this around and somehow all of these things are going to be my fault. And I'm tired of being blamed and I'm tired of being the first one that says sorry. So like, I don't want to end up in the end of all this, finding out that it's my fault, but I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. I knew I wanted a better life. I wanted to experience change. I wanted to grow. And so I did it. So I started to write down my part and it turns out that my part was actually different than what I thought it was going to be. And I started to really notice these certain, what they call character defects. You can call them whatever you want, you know, flaws or, uh, you know, little idiosyncrasies, whatever you want to call them, uh, neuroses, <laughs> some might say. And, um, and as I started to write those down, I started to get this window into myself, this new perspective on these issues that I had been defending against for so long. One of them was impatience, you know, and that I didn't realize how many times my own impatience and my own stepping on the gas and railroading through things and bulldozing things had caused so many problems in my life, had caused this chain of events. And if only I had stayed back and been, you know, more patient and seen and watched what spirit was doing, uh, maybe that whole domino wouldn't have even happened, you know? And so it was profound. It was so helpful for me. And what happened was then I drove home and because it was so life-giving to get honest with myself in this way, I actually stayed in the driveway and kept writing. Like it felt good to get it out. And I kept writing and writing. And I remember the fear that I'd had again of like, I'm going to feel shame or I'm going to feel like this is all my fault or that I have to take the brunt of all the responsibility of this. And it turns out that actually I had this inkling, you know, from my higher power, from spirit, this idea of, I'm not doing this to come down on you. I'm doing this to protect you. And I started to think about it and I thought, oh, protection. Like this is the only thing I have control over is my side of the street. 
So if I can see these things in myself and if I can own them and be honest about them, I probably won't set these other trains in motion that cause the exact same effect over and over and over. So owning it, growing through it, you know, making progress actually is protection because then I can see it and then I don't have to start that whole thing again. It was profound. It was so helpful for me. And so I think that's the first thing when it comes to resentments is just getting honest about what your resentments are. If you want to do a four step and you want to write down your part, go ahead. You know, right now in the midst of quarantine, your family Christmas, you might not be there yet and that's okay. But I think from that story, if the first thing that you can own is, yeah, I'm pretty resentful about these things, that's progress. That was me starting my four step. Another thing that I thought about um, when it comes to resentments that um, they told me was this idea of being cut off from the sunlight of the spirit. So taking our resentment seriously matters. If first of all, you can see it in yourself and you can own it, that's number one. But if second of all, you can see, okay, how is this affecting me? Well, the big book of AA, and again, it could be metaphor, it could be true, but it says it it cuts you off from the sunlight of the spirit, these resentments. So number one, they're the number one offender. They make you use. So you don't want them because you don't want to be an addict. Number two, they cut you off from the sunlight of the spirit. Not good. And so you working through these resentments is allowing you to open up to that sunlight again and allowing you to feel the warmth of that and the love in that and to be connected again. So I don't want resentments because I don't want to block that sunlight of the spirit from getting to me. I don't want to block that connection, that open hearted connection I have with my higher power. And so that's another motivation. And so then how do we deal with them? Okay. We're motivated because we don't want to use and we're motivated because we don't want to be cut off from the sunlight of the spirit. So now we've got some motivation. So then what do we do? Well, the first thing that I like to do is... I like to focus on, um, these characteristics that are being grown in me. So when someone's irritating me, or even when I think about something from the past, um, but even in the present, when something's irritating me, this idea that, okay, they're not giving me what I want. I want something. They're not responding the way I want. They're not giving me what I want, whatever the thing is. Um, that is growing patience in me. That is growing tolerance in me. That is growing unity in me. So when I used to be in meetings and there would be a newcomer and, you know, we all have the rules, right? We share for about three minutes. We all listen. We don't cross talk all these nice boundaries that make up a 12 step meeting. When a newcomer would come in, maybe they're half cut. Maybe they've never been to a meeting. They would just start rambling for like 20 minutes, at least like during a three minute share. And I'd be listening like, these aren't the rules. Like they need to shut up. Who's going to stop them from talking? Like, is this going to go on and on? All that chatter in my voice. And I remember I had to learn. I watched the other elders. I watched people who'd been in these situations before and they were just patient. They just were patient. They have that attitude of like, but for the grace of God, there go I. That was me at my first meeting, that kind of thing. And I remember sometimes I would just have to like hold the bottom of my chair ground myself, calm myself down and go like, you know what? Tolerance, patience, unity, tolerance, patience, unity. 
and I would just be growing. I'd be freaking growing from this person who's sitting there in the chair who's pissing me off. I'm growing. Thank you, God. Wow, that's amazing, right? And suddenly my irritation would turn into compassion. And when I'm feeling compassion, it's a lot more life-giving for me. Um, I, I suddenly go from being around a person who's very draining to like, holy crap, can you imagine going through life like that person? Like if you're hanging out with a narcissist, you can always tell when you're hanging out with a narcissist because you feel like shit after. I've probably told you that, but it's true. And so sometimes when I can get enough space from that situation, I can go, can you imagine being that person in life? Can you imagine everywhere you go, people feel like shit after they hung out with you? That would suck. So I feel this incredible compassion. Like, wow, this person has had so much so many shaming experiences in their life and they carry around so much shame and they really have to develop this shell of this image and they really need XYZ. And listen, we're all on the spectrum of narcissism. So am I. And so it's fine. Like we all have a little bit of that in us, but the people who have it in a really serious way, when I can develop compassion for them, suddenly it's life-giving And so I'm more patient. I'm more tolerant. I have unity with the group of people that I'm around. I'm not disconnecting from the group and the body of humanity. And I have compassion now. I think, wow, we could switch spots, right? And and this is where it does align with the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. If I was that person, I would want people to have compassion towards me and tolerance and patience with me. Um, So that's one thing. That's one thing when I'm feeling resentful that can be really helpful to me. Another thing that can be helpful is the idea that people will love you. Okay. So a lot of times we feel that we need this love. People will love you, but not the way that you want them to love you. Okay. So most of the time people will love you in different ways than you want them to love you, but they do love you. And so if you can picture yourself, um, watching them, if you could see what was happening on an energy level, if you can see that love that's emanating from their hearts about you towards you, wherever they are, whether they're living or not, you know, some of us believe in life that goes on. So even if they're not here, that love from their hearts emanating from them is coming towards you and is reaching you. And sometimes it's us that is blocking it. Sometimes it is us that is holding this block or this wall because we don't feel worthy or because deep, 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 deep down we feel unlovable. So it's our job to lower that wall and to let that love in and to let that love in and to let that love in. However, it's coming towards us, whatever they're doing. So when I do that, for example, with my children, who I can get resentful and then I can have these rules and they're not following them and chores and blah, blah, blah. When I ground myself and I just really imagine these little beings in this world and this love that comes out of their hearts and they just want it to reach me and they just want me to feel that. And that's who they are. They are love. We're made in the image of God. When I can feel that and receive that, everything starts to shift because when I'm full, I deal with things differently than when I'm blocked and I'm not receiving. So that's kind of number two. So the first one is focusing on tolerance, patience, and unity. The second one is remembering that people are loving you, just not the way you would want them to, but they will love you. (laughs) And that's the good news. 
Um, the last thing is really, um, big book esque. So you might've heard me typing. I was just, I my screensaver went on. So I wanted to open that up for you and read straight out of the big book, which is online for free. If you're ever interested, um, it's a great reading, whether you're in the world of psychology, whether you're in the world of Christianity, whether you're in the world of recovery, whether you're in the world of other faith, religion, spirituality, um, it's just fascinating. And the nice thing about it is to see where can you identify, not comparing so much, uh, but where can you identify? Um, my old sponsor used to have this thing where he said, this is why we don't meet on nude beaches because there'd be too much comparing and not enough identifying. <laughs> can you, can you see where you can identify? And so you don't want to compare cause that's a defense, but just, you know, if you ever open the big book and read it, um, a really good chapter to start in is how it works, um, which is I think chapter five. And that's what this is from. So this is another thing that talks about dealing with these resentments. So you have these resentments, maybe they're from things that have happened in your past. Um, those other two things I talked about maybe won't work for you. What do alcoholics do? Cause if, if being resentful means to drink and to drink is to die, then what do they do? So this is what it says. It says, we went back through our lives, nothing counted, but thoroughness and honesty when we were finished. Okay. So they're doing their step four in this point. So this is what they're talking about. We went back through our lives, nothing counted, but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent to us was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. Okay. So when you do your list of resentments and you see the things that have happened to you, they're saying the world and its people were often quite wrong. People have wronged you. Like take a moment to allow that to sink in and be validated. We're not just going to jump over that. But then it says to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got as in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness to the precise extent that we permit these okay, deep resentment and this futility and unhappiness. Do we squander the hours that might've been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic, whose hope is in the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. We turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, whether they did it or not, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So what are we going to do? We have these resentments and the resentments lead us to addiction 
And for some people, addiction is to die. For others of us, it just means misery. Um, so what do we do? This is our course, it says. We realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So that's what it has to say. So basically I learned this idea of perhaps they're spiritually sick and I'm not saying that they're sick. Like, Oh, you're a sick person in a bad way or shameful way. I'm saying like they have the spiritual flu and someone who has the flu, no matter who they are, if they're thrown up and they're all over the place and they have the fear, we're kind to them. We're kind to them and compassionate. We don't expect the same things out of somebody who isn't sick. And we know what that's like to feel like. And so we're gracious. And so some, for some people in recovery, even picturing the words, I am sick across their forehead and envisioning that suddenly we treat them differently and we're more patient and we take our time. And for myself, picturing, I am sick too, across my forehead. I have times when I get the spiritual flu and I'm not myself and I don't act the ways that I want to act. And so, yeah, it's just compassion, self-compassion and compassion for others. But it's amazing at if you're at home right now with family members or kids that are just acting up tantruming, or if it's an in-law or, you know, whoever it is, just remembering that, that other people get the spiritual flu too. And somehow it changes things and somehow we shift and this becomes this, again, thank you, God, moment that I'm now becoming a different person because of thinking about things in these ways and because of feeling these ways. So my genuine hope for you is, as you listen to this, that you'll be able to see the people around you differently and that you'll be able to get honest about your resentments, but then you'll know what to do with them. It's not just getting honest and then they just sit there. You know, you'll be able to really see the people in your life differently and, um, and that that will help you. So hopefully this will lead to an even better Christmas. I know that it's not easy, uh, for those of us that are in quarantine right now, but I have a lot of hope for where we're going and our future. So that's our podcast episode for this week. I hope it helps and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Recovering is about listening, and it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes, you can share this on Facebook or Twitter, or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Cause we're in this together now, yeah we're in this together now. Uh-huh.